Hello and welcome to another episode of African Joe Paddy. My name is Ife and I am recording from my lockdown position in Staffordshire. Today, we're going to be talking about African preparedness for COVID-19. And I guess I have to tender my apologies this time because um, my colleague or my co-host, Dr. Bel Habib, is not here with us right now. I guess this is because it's, it's too early. It's just about 24 minutes past 9 a.m. in Vancouver. So she's not with us presently. And today, I really, um, we have a very, very important person with us today to discuss this topic, an expert. Her name is Abimbola Adebakin. She's a pharmacist and the CEO of Advantage Health Africa, a health technology group with a pharmacy franchise model, My Pharmacy, and My dashmedicines.com aimed at providing genuine and affordable and accessible medicines. Previously, she was the chief operating officer of the Tony Elumelu Foundation. She is a certified performance technologist with a degree in pharmacy and an MBA from University of Lagos. She is a solution-minded people developer, facilitator, and innovator, keen on providing solutions to various issues emerging across Africa, especially those related to health innovation and networks. And as you can see from the profile, we have, there's no better person to have with us to discuss this topic than her. And yeah, yeah. And, and the reason why we're actually discussing COVID-19 in Africa today is because we've been hearing so many things from the media and we thought it is actually very important we invite an expert to tell us exactly what it is and what they think about Africa's preparedness for COVID-19. Abimbola, you have the floor. So could you tell us, what exactly is happening right now in the continent and how prepared are we? Okay, so thank you very much for having me here, Ife. Um, I think we have a mixed spot in Africa. We have some countries that had um, galvanized into action much earlier than others. And we have pockets of excellence as well. I, I saw a video of someone who arrived in Accra, Ghana, and immediately they were all taken to a beautiful isolation center in a dedicated hotel, and the care, the attention, the you know the protocol followed was very endearing. It made us see Ghana in a good light. There are some countries that are catching up very quickly. In my city, in Lagos, we have an isolation center that has just been built on on one of our major you know stadium, and it's it's looking good. However, I think many of us have delayed our response and i say this because we've had we've had the warning and a lag period for over two months and many countries didn't quite think it would get to us i recall a joke that was going around early february 
that, oh, the coronavirus was manufactured in China, therefore it won't last. You know, so that's, I think, was the mentality of quite a number of us in Africa that it wouldn't really be anything that would um, get to us or that even if it gets to us, it wouldn't have the same impact it was having in other continents. But that has been proven, you know, to some extent to have been naivety on our part. So we could have prepared better. There are four areas we should be focusing on right now. And I can talk about those areas of preparation much more as we go along. So the four areas of preparation cover for me, one, early detection, identifying who is actually infected with the coronavirus okay. and who else have they met? Have they, you know, interfaced with anyone at all? So detection is one of the four things that we should do in terms of preparedness. Mm-hmm. The second is actually then sequestering the people for observation and treatment. Mm-hmm. And in observing, we're looking at how the health facilities that are well equipped are also manned by the people with the right frame of mind to observe and then to treat as symptoms emerge. The third area is also actually then controlling a spread in the communities. And therefore, all the attention being paid around um, social distancing and minimizing movement because uh, as it's been pondering all around, the virus doesn't move, it's people that move. So how we can curtail movement is a third area of preparation. And this requires extensive monitoring and you know implementation. And the fourth area is really the renewal of minds where people change behavior and people are managed from going into a state of panic and anxiety. Those are four areas of preparation. So when you say is the country prepared, it's not enough to say, oh, we're scanning as you enter the country from maybe when you travel from abroad. Mm-hmm. That's not enough. It's also not enough to say, oh, we have six test, test um, locations. Oh, so we're prepared. No. If you look at the geographical span, for example, of a country like Nigeria, we've seen in the span of what is shown that we have six or so centers and they're all mainly below the, you know, the, the Niger. All the areas above the northwest, north central and, you know, northeast are devoid of a of an approved test center and in the country right now we don't have a a validated self-testing kit there's a lot of work going on right now by the ncdc that's the disease control commission to quickly and rapidly get to that point where you can validate self-testing kits therefore testing can go on much more there are some countries i saw a joke over the weekend that oh um, if you look across africa there's no case of of COVID-19 in Burundi. Mm. And when asked, you know, when the president was, I'm not sure this is real, but it was a joke. I'm not, uh, when the president was asked, so how come you have no cases of Corona, you know, of COVID-19? He said, because we haven't tested anyone. So there might be more, there might be more cases, you know, more, much more cases of it, but probably because we've got a fantastic weather in most of Africa and the, the heat, the warmth, is helping those who are symptomatic to even have less of the, you know, intensive symptoms that we hear mm-hmm. are happening up, 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 you know, up north of the hemisphere. Maybe that's what is helping right now. And then also 
I mean, there are other things that maybe probably are not uh, costing the numbers to increase. So testing and test, uh, test penetration is one thing. Another is that the symptoms seem to be milder. Now, I have no evidence to confirm that. But from what we're hearing, it appears to be milder than some of the feedback we're getting from other countries. And that is really a very interesting perspective in terms of um, both the figures and the the lack of, I guess you could say, the very reduced numbers we're seeing. So according to the CDC, um, Center for Disease Control, as of the 24th of March, 16 African countries have confirmed deaths. The number of cases have reached 2,000. 746 and the worst affected African countries include South Africa with 709, Egypt Mm -hmm. with 456, Algeria Mm -hmm. with 302 and Morocco with 225 cases. So, I mean, I guess we can then say that these people are testing more, therefore they are identifying more cases or is it just a thing of Africa is just doing well in combating or or sort of stemming the tide of the virus. What do you think? I would I, I would I would hesitate with the second option. No. I would actually, without proof, say that we're leaning more towards the fact that we test fewer, so therefore we're probably identifying fewer. Hmm. You know, so as much as possible, we need to help people self-identify and you know. Um, offer themselves up for isolation or for treatment or for, you know, deliberate testing. So you find that the campaign right now is not so much as, oh, we've tested hundreds of thousands, therefore we have a low percentage of incidence or low incidence level. No. The case is come over and be tested if you feel that you are vulnerable or you have been maybe in a country where there's a lot of incidents, you've just returned from those countries or someone around you took ill or you're seeing these and these symptoms. So that, that's, that's the state, state we're in, in, in most of, of Africa. So I'll lean more towards the, the first assumption. Okay. But then is it fair to, I mean, I, I think it's not a thing of saying fair because I'm not the expert here you are. But as a social scientist, seeing um, things on the news about lockdown in, in different cities, in, in Accra, for example, in, in, in Abuja, in Lagos, in, in different places in, 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 in Nigeria, and also in Nairobi, for example. But then the government is saying there should be a lockdown, everybody should stay home, but they're not. It, it, it doesn't seem... To be to me, as if they're making any provision to provide for the people who would actually be locked down. Remember, obviously, mm-hmm. if, if you're staying at home, it means you don't have access to um, to food. Those that are traders are not able to sell their goods. Therefore, they don't have money to pay their landlords at, at the end of the month, as the house rent will be will be due very soon. So I wonder what you think about that approach and whether actually African government should be doing more to support the people they're asking to stay at home for that to actually work. Okay, okay. So so it's a mixed pot again. There, there are a few examples that one could borrow from. 
And I'm glad that you've got a, um, a global audience. So probably, you know, help can come to support some governments that are doing something. And I'll give another example of, of a state that I know, Lagos State, that has begun to, I mean, clamp down in some way on movement, encouraging all of us to stay at home except for those who are rendering essential services. So 50% of my staff, for example, are out in the pharmacies providing first-line care to those who visit pharmacies because that's really where a lot of people go to for the first time when they feel any form of illness. We also have those who are in the production team who are out there producing the sanitizers that are needed by thousands and we're shipping them all out across the, the country. But that same state, this same legal state, has, while it has asked markets to shut down, has created at least 50 special markets using well-spaced compounds in schools and so on to ensure that there's a lot of social distancing and you can still access food and essential materials like medicines. So it's not a total shutdown. We've learned lessons from other countries where there's been a total shutdown and we've learned also from those where there's not been a total shutdown. So you can say that we've quickly picked up lessons from a global incidents and we are applying them here. It is deliberate and it is intentional for you to reduce movement. If we reduce movement, I mean, the, the graphics and things moving around are stark and scary. That the virus is, 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 you know, it's highly contagious. And when something is highly contagious, you want to control both the initial, you know, the, the initial person that has it and every other person that they come in contact with. So I agree with governments to shut down as much as possible. I agree with the approach we have where essential services are available. I really wish we could do much more to support those who are at home. But the the central government, for example, in Nigeria, has initiated something of a stimulus package for mm-hmm. businesses in certain sectors. And I really do hope that you know it's implemented well. But by and large, the the worry now is to make sure the numbers do not climb as fast as we've seen in countries like Italy and the USA. We want it to this the this, the curve to be flat uh, or as flatter than it is currently. Then the second thing we want is that for those who are employees to make sure they don't lose their jobs. So the employers have to be catered for. The, the social safety nets that are existing in other countries in the Western world do not exist here. What we have used and leveraged so far have been family ties, the extended family setting. So as much as possible with the use of technology, we're still encouraging one another and sending food to the family and still doing those things. But if government can create a social safety net, I doubt it can happen in a month or two. It will still happen across many countries in Africa, but we hadn't put in place those social safety net systems before now, and I don't think it will come rapidly. But what they can do right now is to support the businesses, small, medium, and large corporations to make sure people don't lose their jobs and those in the informal market are not adversely affected by the shutdown and the clampdown. It is going to affect many, those especially in the entertainment industry, those who are serving us on weekends. Lagos, for example, is known for its weekend economy. You have people who make drinks, cook food, who rent out halls, all of that business is shut down. So yes, they will need a lot of intervention and stimulus after the, you know, the, the disease has been controlled.
Okay, well, thank you so much for pointing that out and obviously for tabling out um, what Lagos State is doing. But okay, as... Sorry, another addition is Lagos State is also beginning to stockpile food okay. so that we hopefully do not have the kind of rampage you're having in Italy where people are hungry and there is no stockpile. Maybe we will encourage many more governments across Africa to begin to do that proactively. Whatever you can store in the grains, whatever you can store that would make sure people still have a meal a day or two meals a day post-COVID or just as it's telling out, it will be fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, for tabling those things out. But, but other things I've been seeing online as well is, and this also points us to preparedness. And I have to say that when I started hearing about COVID-19 and, and the potential or the probability of it spreading across Africa, especially when you read some of the Western media saying, oh, when this gets to Africa, this will be the end. And saying things that are quite derogatory sometimes implying that Africa is potentially not ready or cannot handle it. I, however, felt consoled. I felt like, well, if, if we did it, if we were able to, to, to turn the tides during the Ebola pandemic, I'm sure we can do this. However, I have seen videos across not just Nigeria, but across select countries in the continent of places that should, I mean, be accounting as um, isolation centers, they're not actually habitable. They are not places anybody would want to stay, especially some of the pictures I've seen for Nigeria. And then I believe it was in Kenya where people are actually forced to pay for their own isolation for 14 days. So it means that if you cannot afford $100 a day, you're on your own. That is for the isolation um, accommodation. So how do we ensure that when we're telling people, for example, those that have traveled or we're trying to um, isolate people, that we actually make sure that they're able to stay in the accommodation or in the places where they are being isolated without having to, to risk running away because they are being kept in an in, inhabitable place, in an inhabitable country. Right. Right. I, I agree with you 100%. Our health system has been horrid. It has been horrid. And therefore, when people outside of Africa say Africa will not cope, I understand to an extent where they are coming from. I mean, where we have clinics and hospitals that needed revamping 20 years ago, and we're still and mind my words, I mean, you know, putting some air quotes, we're managing them. Managing meaning we're still bearing to use them. They should have been shut down and rebranded, revamped, rebirthed, or closed down and then built new ones. But you see, we're resilient people. Africans are resilient. If there's any, na- any feature in our nature that has been underplayed, is that resilience. We're innovative and we find ways to do things. And so right now, what I know is that the triggered reactions, especially things like what I've just seen with GTB building a 100-bed um, isolation center with um, a group of people coming together to build ICUs, we will see a rapid development in our healthcare system that I think pre-COVID would not have been imagined, could not have been thought. There was little attention to the healthcare system and we probably will benefit from that. The other thing to look at is that Africa has a good profile of vaccination for BCG. 
Mm-hmm. And that's one rule, one thing that's playing a key role right now. The Sorry, perception this TG is a vaccine you get when you're when you're born. Oh, okay. um, it prevents um, early pneumonia and things of that nature, okay. and we we get um, uh, tuberculosis vaccine and all. If you compare Nigeria, for example, to to Italy, we've got more resistance per person than those countries, Norway, Italy, and so on, who have a poor BCG vaccination profile. So Africa would boast of this, not knowing that it actually will build some resilience in our people by the vaccination that many of us have adopted right from childhood. So I think that's one thing that goes for us. The other thing is our healthcare professionals. They have been at the forefront on a daily, regular basis, fighting healthcare conditions across Africa as though they were in war conditions. It's been very poor. You see medical doctors, you see nurses, you see pharmacists making results come out of probably thin air. And those are the people that are in the forefront today. So the, the, the awkwardness that some would face with shortage of materials or, you know, the suddenness of the incident of the disease, we have become used to it and we probably are able to respond faster as a workforce. Now, it's not something to boast about, uh, Ife. It's not something to boast about. It's just something to note, to help us to understand that we will not be devastated by COVID-19. No. Africa will show resilience. Africa will bounce back. And Africa will show the way that we have been managing and responding to situations as, with a lot of lack and a lot of, you know, shortages, it will pay us in this situation. But that doesn't mean that's how we want to stay. Because right now we've lost so many medical professionals to other countries because we could not keep them, we could not retain them. I think that if anybody's seeking to help with African healthcare system, is to put in place the right infrastructure, the right equipment, but also put in place a long-term, broad system that encourages human capital development and that's a long-term thing the 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 low-hanging fruits there are not very many the short-term things are not many we must plan for a 10 20 25 years um human capital development attracting the right people retaining the right people and ensuring quality all around that's a lot of work we need to do and i'm i won't say i'm glad for covid I hope that COVID will bring us that attention to our healthcare renewal that we've been longing for for so many decades in Africa. Here, 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 here. I I absolutely agree with you on that. And I'm hoping that, um, I mean, contrary to some of the ideas that the reasons for the low figures is because of um, low testing, that is actually because African governments, African countries were or have been quite proactive in not only testing, but isolating, um, identifying people that potentially might have been in contact with people that have had it. And hopefully, no matter what, what happens in the next coming weeks or the next coming months, because some report actually said that um, Africa is about two to three weeks behind the the peaking or what's happening in in other countries across Europe. So 
I'm hoping that whatever happens, regardless that the number of deaths and of course of cases will remain low. And this would be purely because of the resilience of the system, but also because respective governments are taking action. Because again, as of 24th of March, uh, it is noted that of the 55 countries in the African continent, 46 already have reported cases, but only a yeah. few of them have reported deaths. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm staying optimistic yeah. like you. I, I'm, I'm joining you in your optimism, and I really hope that the mild, the mild um, symptoms we're seeing will stay all the way, even in the colder regions of Africa. But I suspect why you have such a high incidence in South Africa and North, northern parts of Africa is really because of, of the cooler weather that they have. But you see, I, I think of COVID, not just uh, COVID-19, not just of the disease itself, but the impact on the economy yeah. post-COVID. And I wrote a paper recently for the Institute of Directors, and I, it will be published in the April magazine, where I talked about what do we prepare for post-COVID. I think one of the areas we should begin to think of is the workforce and the buying power of the majority. We had always relied on the remittances from, from Africans in diaspora. That's going to be impacted. It's going to take a, a knock remittances will reduce. So how do people still have that buying power that was informal and was not recorded amongst what they earn, you know, formally? The other thing to plan for is the recession. Talk about the recession and our dependence on oil in most of our countries. We must prepare for recession. Our spending pattern, our ability to bounce, uh, agility, those are things that we should begin to look at. I have hope in the financial, the 20, 2008 global financial crisis that caused companies like Uber, companies like Airbnb to emerge. I'm looking for African versions of, you know, bulk breaking companies that will be innovative, that will take, you know, the emerging adoption of technology in Africa and really make it something post-COVID. The, one of the other things I would like to look at is that some companies are still working remotely. Yeah. And many, many had not adopted remote working and sharing space, you know, or sharing technology before. Maybe now our models for, you know, work-life balance and things that help people to work and not be fully, you know, physically present would you know improve and we can begin to look at certain new business models that you know take hold of what is happening as reality now and make good of it you know afterwards so there, there are quite a, a lot of things to look out for post-covid but i think over the next three months let's say between now and end of june we should face curtailing movement we should face social distancing we should manage our healthcare providers their psyche, their mental state. We should make sure as many resources as are donated, as are given, should be channeled to the right places. And government should bounce quickly in the four areas I mentioned before. Identification and isolation, testing, treatment, um, uh, curtailing movement, and making sure that our behavioral changes are sustainable. Okay. Well, thank you so much for really a very, what has been so far a very um, inspiring um, conversation in terms of what's happening and what we can look forward to in the continent. 
but I guess I want to turn the direction now briefly to what advice will you give to the Africans listening that actually think that this is a hoax, that this is not true, that COVID is, is not a black man or an African's disease. What advice would you give them in terms of not only looking after themselves, but taking this very seriously and taking their health and that of their loved ones seriously? Oh, it's, 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 it is possible to have the coronavirus and it is very possible to develop the symptoms of COVID-19 in any human being. There is no one class of human beings that are immune to it. No. The symptoms and the severity might differ, but everyone is vulnerable to the virus. If you think you're not, just read the symptoms that people have gone through on Twitter. They're sharing their, their, their you know, their experience. Talk to a medical, a medical person, someone working in a hospital. Talk to those of us in the front line in pharmacy, and you will know it is real and it is getting worse. We have not reached the peak. Therefore, please do not be careless. Just like AIDS was debunked very early, and people said, "Oh no." There's nothing like AIDS. We've seen that it is, it's possible and it can, uh, using our partners, it can catch African man. So COVID-19 can catch African man. So please do not be careless. Do not be ignorant. The ignorance is disturbing. If you think that COVID cannot happen, what about tuberculosis? Didn't tuberculosis ravage people? So there are similar, you know, symptoms. Do not take it for granted do the needful. Wash your hands as you should. Stop touching people. Stop touching your face. If you can't talk, stop touching your face, sanitize often. Anytime you want to touch your face, sanitize your hands before you touch, you know. So we need to have a, a behavioral change. We can't take it for granted. It is possible the numbers could escalate rapidly if we don't stop the behavior that will cause it to move. So Nobody should even be, you know, be, be fooled that it won't come near them. What you should do is, what can I do? What should I take? How should I improve myself? Improve your immunity. Reduce your movement. Get work done remotely, you know. There's so many things to say. And at Advantage Health Africa, where, where I lead, we've been churning out copious videos, graphics, putting them out there, sending them, sharing them in our franchise chain, so that people can know we're doing demonstrations, we're doing WhatsApp group chats, we're doing all sorts of things to communicate. Many people need to take this. I'm hearing radio, you know, radio jingles in different languages. That's a good step in a good, in a good direction. We need more of such, and we must get all influencers out there speaking the language that people can hear. It's not everybody that wants to hear to some person speaking in English yeah. or in French or in Portuguese rat, rattling around. Some people want to hear it in Swahili. You want to hear it, you know, in your own native language with your own native examples. Yesterday we did a demonstration for our dispatch riders. We actually had them practice how to sneeze. I was surprised when I said, okay, sneeze the right way. And they were looking at me. I said, yes, yeah, sneeze the proper way. I had to show them you must sneeze into your elbow. You know, and this is something that we must demonstrate beyond just saying it in graphics. We must actually use practical sessions to get the message across. So I'm hopeful that we'll do more of this. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so very much for tabling this out. And I hope that the people listening, um, both in Europe and in, in North America, in in Africa especially, would would take the advice into account and do thank whatever you. they can to stay alive. Because obviously, we only have one life. So before we conclude, I wonder if you have anything else to say to our audience before we say our goodbyes. I, I think we just need to collaborate further right now and after the disease. Collaboration across countries where, you know, Madagascar is collaborating with Ghana, where we have, you know, Sao Tome collaborating with Somali mm-hmm. so that we can learn lessons and Africa can emerge stronger from this. We, you know, enough of us being the last continent, the dark continent, enough of that. I want to be able to provide solutions across Africa. Mm-hmm. Let us look for like-minded people to come together and do practical things. Enough of interventions every time we have a, an issue. We want strong systems that are sustainable, that are, mm-hmm. that are imbibing right standards that are contextually built for Africa. And that's my, you know, my 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 hope and my dream and desire. I wish everybody well as we self-isolate and hibernate at home. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and thank you so very much, um, everyone for listening. Thank you so much, um, Abimbola, for really insightful contribution on Africa's preparedness for COVID nineteen. And um, we wish you um, the very best, and we wish all our listeners the very best as well. And hopefully, Dihia will join us in the next episode. Thank you and take care.